novelty just to entertain you. You know? So that's not what he's doing. So everything that was made was made by pattern and design. Now I'm really, everybody say, say this with me. Ready? Nerd alert. That's right, nerd alert. It's going to get a nerd alert. There's a nerd alert, nerd alert. And I know, I know it's the weekend, and you don't do math on the weekends, but just stay with me. Anybody know what pi is? You ever heard of pi? All right. It's, the, it's actually the uh, proportion of the radius of a circle to its circumference. Everything in life was created that, from a circle or a radius. The rate, God used this measurement of pi, this fractal measurement of pi, to create everything. Including you. If you put your finger right here, you, you probably got that dent right here in your jawline, right where your feet, where your ear is. You can you can mathematically draw around your skull to the bridge of your nose, and it'll equate to pi. Yeah, your organs are laid out in symmetry to pi. You don't know that. They are. There's the symmetricalness. In other words, everything that God did is in proportion, and He used the measurement of its proportion is in relationship to this measurement of pi. So when you draw the circle from like the center of your heart, it'll go through. This, it'll proportionally go through specific organs. You can do it in like if I start at my brain, it'll go through my kidney. If I start here, it'll go through here. But all of your organs were laid out in symmetry and in proportion. That's why you don't have your heart. Somebody's well, it's random. Uh, Kevin's heart is on his on his left shoulder. Uh, Mina's heart is on her right side. Uh, you know, Jeremiah's heart's on his rear end. I mean, I don't know. You know, <laughs> he's not here, so I can pick on him. So. I was looking for him. It's not random. God put everything in proportion. He designed everything by proportion. The point of this whole thing is that this is not random. We are not, we are not evolved creatures. We are created creatures. We do not uh, evolve from, uh, from, from nothing. We are created by intention and we are created by design and it can be proven. It can be proven. All right, now we're going to get say it, say it with me again. Nerd alert. All right, here we go. Next slide. Anybody know what these are? Uh, boxes, uh, platonic spheres, platonic planes. Okay, so all of life, this is, goes very, very far back. All of life is re- in relationship to these spheres. From the molecular level to the subatomic level, all of life, crystals are formed in relationship in these patterns and spheres. Your cells and molecules are formed in relationship to these spheres or these images. Everything begins and is patterned after this. So there's this consistent pattern that God uses and it all relates. Everybody say, say this with me. It begins with a circle. It all begins with a circle. Why a circle? It's infinity. Everything God does, He begins with a circle. He begins with infinity. He begins you, you, when you're when you're conceived. You ever see a woman be conceived in her? What's the the egg is what? Right. It's not a square. It's not a diamond. You know. It's not a little blip moving around. It's a circle. Everything begins as a circle. From the circle, the circle morphs to form this. Everything goes through the tetrahedron. Everything. It forms through the tetrahedron. So what happens is the circle is created, a circle, the circle's in motion. That's why when God created the earth, God created the earth and there was motion. His spirit was on the water, hovering, creating motion, setting in motion the thing that God created. The circle, the circle that's created in motion begins to morph. And one of the things that in the circle, the, the circle of life, when it begins to morph, it forms itself into a tetrahedron, a diamond. And then it'll process through different stages of this of these shapes depending on what it's forming. Next slide. Anybody know what that is? Come on, Alex. What is it? What well, doesn't have the it doesn't have the chemical table up there, right? Okay, it's a carbon atom, right? So this is carbon. It's a tetrahedron. Understand? So it's a molecule with four other molecules around it. So the molecular structure of a carbon molecule is a tetrahedron. The molecular structure of water, all of these different elements, they come, they begin in a molecular structure, and the molecular structure forms a tetrahedron. It may go from a tetrahedron, and the the the, uh, the, the element may form itself into a cube. We have we have. Uh, Molecules that form themselves into squares. We have molecules that form themselves into a whole variety of these shapes. The point being is that God creates things in likeness and in pattern. And he always begins with a circle. The circle morphs to a triangle. Why? Is a triangle sacred? Anybody know anything about Jesus? Okay. Anybody know about Christian faith? Triangles are pretty sacred throughout the scripture. They have how many sides? Three sides. God is great. Right? 
The Star of David is a triangle up and a triangle down. You know that too. So the, the Star of David is in what it's reflecting is the world above and the world beneath. The union of those two worlds, that's what it's reflecting. So the triangle is a very sacred symbol part of God's design. The circle is infinity is a very, a very important start. So God starts with infinity. He morphs it into a triangle and then it starts morphing into all these varying stages of existence. Molecular geometry. There's all kinds of stuff that forms through this. Next slide. You know what that is? That is an inseminated egg of a woman. This is day two. Day two. Day two. What is it formed? Day two. It's formed a tetrahedron. Day two. That's the first thing it forms. Four molecules in, in, in tetrahedron. What does that mean? It means, so if the triangle is sacred, God does everything by design. He begins with a, with a, with a single cell. He multiplies it. By day two, it's now a tetrahedron. The first thing it becomes is a tetrahedron. When you're born, when you're conceived, the very first thing you become is a sacred image. By day two, you are a sacred molecular structure. You are not created junk you're not created random all creation all human beings are created in by the day two by by day three this is day three what does it form that's what it's forming am i notice the symbol in the middle does that look some familiar to you right so this is this is this is what it's forming by day two there's a connection heaven and earth is a sacredness place that's day three so life begins not randomly life begins not as junk life begins as, as intention and design and God replicates this pattern through all of life. They can take the embryo of a baby as the baby forms and they can trace pi. The baby literally sleeps in the circumference of pi. They can trace the embryo in its smallest form and they can configure pi. How is that possible? How, how, how is it that precise? Well, we come from monkeys, you see, Kevin. The baboon is your uncle. <laughs> You understand how sacred you are. You understand how mankind is exceptional to all creation. All creation. The devil's a liar, man. He wants to suppress the uniqueness of the human design. He wants to take away the uniqueness of that. There's nothing like us in the universe itself. Created by the triad God. Day two, he says sacred. Day three, he says this, this, is, this reflects destiny right here. Mankind was created to be connected from heaven to earth. This is what we are. This is the purpose of our creation. We are, we are created to be heaven to earth. That's how we're created. We're not born that way, but we're born with that destiny ingrained in us. Eternity is in us. And we fulfill that destiny ultimately by coming to Christ. Next slide. So what's the point, Kevin? <laughs> what's the point, man? All right, the point is, for you formed me in my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am intentionally designed. God chose to design me unique. God chose to design human beings unique over all others. Over all others. What would happen? This is just a thought. What would happen if science began to look at life began to look at medicine, began to look at the human body in relationship to that molecular design. What would happen if we realized that this is a sacred design, that these cells go through this metamorphic process? If the cell is not going through this metamorphic process, then there must be a problem. What creates this metamorphic process? How can we overlay that metamorphic process and change the process within the cells itself? I mean, what will happen is, is if, if, if science begins to align itself with the biblical narrative, I'm being very kind. My wife said I was too hard on science in the beginning, so... I, I'm really trying to, like, be calm. She said, you were really condescending to science. <laughs> you know why I'm condescending to science? Nothing intended. Because science thinks they know everything. And you know what? I'll give you another one. They think Christians are idiots. They think we're idiots. We believe in fairy tales. And I'm going to tell you this, that the church does a whole lot of help, gives them a whole lot of help because we act like idiots sometimes. We have the answers, and we don't provide them. We have the answers and we don't, we, we vacate the argument. We step out of the circle. We allow ourselves to be relegated to a corner because we all want to be nice. We just want to be nice. Just want to be nice. So science will come. So we all heard of Darwin. There was another guy named Huxley. Huxley was a big time evolutionist, but more than an evolutionist, he was an atheist. 
So a guy named Huxley comes along, and he hates God. He hates Christians. He just can't stand it. And he looks at Darwin's narrative, and he says, hey, I can take this Darwin stuff, and I can overlay it into all science. And he was one of the biggest propagators of evolution into science, more so than Darwin. And he did it not motivated because it was truth. He did it motivated because he is going to disprove that God exists. Evolution cannot be proven. Cannot. Absolutely. It, in fact, it can be disproven, but it cannot be proven. One of the leading uh, evolutionary biologists said, he said, I cannot prove evolution, nor can it be proven. But for me to accept that as fact would lead me to one alternative, and that is to accept that I was created by an, by an alternate being. That is something I cannot accept, so therefore I choose to believe in what I cannot prove. It's, it's, it's a religion. Science is a religion. They want to shut down any voices of opposition other than their own. Okay, I'm at Jackson. I'll give you clear examples. Ready? Okay, I'll give you another one. Ready? Ready? Okay. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to like me, but you're going to... I don't know, man. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, the Lord's honor means a lot to me. Okay, it means a lot to me. So just like, you dare insult the Lord's honor! <laughs> I rise at something like this, you know, when they start saying that God's... I don't know, I just feel this on this. Anybody read, the, read about this? They're trying to grow human organs inside of pigs. Anybody know? Come on. Yeah. You want to write it down? You want to write this down? Please write this down. Get your notebooks out. Date it right now. Write it down. You're going to hear me. You're going to hear me say it. Ready? Here it goes. It's not going to happen. It will not happen. It will not happen. Do you know Why? Because we are fundamentally not compatible with, a, with any other species other than our own. We're not. A human being, I just was reading, Japan actually is investing millions of dollars into trying to grow human organs inside of pigs and they can't get it to work. And they're all talking about like, this is going to be a breakthrough. This, no, it's not going to be any kind of breakthrough. They keep injecting these pigs with human DNA and human amino acids and the pig either dies or it just like gets all weird. And they're saying, well, we're just going to keep injecting it with DNA. And we're going to keep injecting it with human uh, amino acids so that it will find the link in, in the genetic chain. It's not going to find the link in the genetic chain because there is none. We don't come from pigs. We don't come from monkeys. We don't come from birds. We don't come from lizards. Mankind is unique in and of himself. He's compatible with nothing else other than himself. You can prove science. I was at, this is, goes back. I was at Jackson you know, it's a teaching hospital, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, residents there. And I was in the cafeteria. I don't know who I was seeing, but it was a while back ago. And I was eating in the cafeteria, waiting for someone or something. And there's a guy sitting across to me. And these two guys are like, literally, I think, I, don't, I, I look back on it. And I'm like, this was a totally weird situation. Because I'm sitting at the table, and these two guys are arguing, they're talking. And this young guy right over here is sitting there saying, evolution can be proven. I know the science. I've seen the science. He's like, oh, egotistical. You know, probably straight out of med school or something. He knows. He knows. He knows. He has seen the data. And I looked at him. I said, hey, man. I said, you know, you, I heard you talking about evolution. He's like, oh, yeah. And I said, let me ask you a question. Are the amino acids of primates compatible with the amino acids of humans? That's the only question I asked him. I want no more, want no more answer than that. We don't need to talk about evolutionary theory. We just want to ask that question. Is our... The at the biological level of all life is amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of protein. Proteins are the building blocks of all life. Are the amino acids of any type of primate, pick one, lemur, you know, pick something. I don't care. Tree monkey, pick, pick, pick whatever primate you want to pick and take human amino acids. Are they compatible? And the answer is no. You can't take the amino acids of an ape and put it in a man. The man dies. You can't take the amino acids of a man and put it in an ape. The ape dies. Just like you can't take the amino acids of a man and inject it into a pig and expect to grow a liver. It's not going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. It, it isn't going to happen. And so what, what the, the, the point of that is, is that it can be disproven far more than it can be proven. It can be. You know, now there's some argument over whether there's going to be genetic manipulation. There might be. Because the Bible talks about when Jesus returns, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what was going on in marriage? Well, they were marrying and being given in marriage. Yeah, every generation was. But in the time of Noah, they were, the, the angels were genetically manipulating the human genome. They were created a line of races that no one wants to ever talk about called the Nephilim. Anybody ever read about them? They were a race of giants. They were genetically modified beings. 
They were genetically, and that's why God flooded the earth. And that's why God sent that specific group of angels was sent to a place called Tartarus. And Peter says that group of angels that did that are reserved in chains of darkness. They have no dominion. They, 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 they are not, while demonic spirits still have some kind of activity, that group that did that are not allowed to do anything. They're, they're bound with chains. They can go nowhere. They can't go anywhere. So God took that angel, those angels, the Bible actually says in Jude, they, crossed their, they left their first abode. They left their dominion. They crossed the line that they shouldn't have crossed. So now it's arguable that in the last days, there may be some genetic manipulation going on to somehow create some kind of a bridge link between humans and mammals. But at the base level, it doesn't exist. At the natural level, it doesn't exist. And if they do some genetic manipulation, your antenna needs to go up and go, oh, that sounds like the days of Noah to me. They're genetically manipulating human beings. That's a huge topic right now. Genetic modification, huge topic. Why now? Why now? Well, because we can. No, because it's the last days. There's going to be genetic modification and manipulation of some kind. Oh, you want your baby to have blue eyes? No problem. You want to be six foot two? Okay, six foot two. You know, they're going to start genetically modifying the creation. You say, well, I, I would do that if I picked a car. Yeah, but you're, you know, that's how people think about it. They're like, well, I'm getting a baby. I, you know, it's like, it's like I'm buying a car. I want it red with, you know, mags and tint and, you know, the stereo. That's how I want my kid. I want my kid to be customized. Okay. All right. Anyway. But you were, you were created by God, for God in a specific dominion, with a specific intention, with a specific design. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. On purpose, with a purpose. You're created sacred by day two. Day two of conception, Jesus goes, sacred. All life is sacred. That should, that should answer some of these issues, that, these questions, these social questions, can be answered right at that level, right off the, right out, right off the rip. Are, is life at conception? Is life sacred at conception? Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. Created on purpose, the, the earth was formed as a habitation for mankind. The heaven, even the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons and daughters of men. Next slide. So the triangle is sacred, right? So we have this idea that David... So. The triangle is a symbol of God's tri triune on earth as it is in heaven. It's also David in Paleo-Hebrew, uh, which is ancient Hebrew. The, the name David is a triangle up, triangle down, and a triangle up, which is basically the tetrahedron in three dimensions. And so, again, it's a very sacred... Uh, Jesus is of the line of David. He's of the line of those. There's also a thing in the Bible where it says, Jesus says, I hold the key of David. Anybody ever read that? He says it twice. He says it in Isaiah, and he says it in Revelation. He says, I am who he who was dead and now is alive, and I hold the key of David. Everybody goes, theologians go, we don't know what the key of David is. You, we know exactly what the key of David is. The key of David is not a mystery. The key of David is the one, is, God, Jesus is saying, all life, I'm the one who holds power over all life. Then he's also saying, I'm the one who unites the two worlds. That's what he says. So if you look at, if you look at this concept, right, this is an important concept spiritually. And why are we getting into this? Because your faith isn't just this linear uh, abstraction. Your faith is alive and it's real and it's far more dimensional than you ever thought it was. This stuff is trans-dimensional. This stuff goes beyond where we are. You take the cube. Okay, well, let's do the cube first, right? Well, let's take this. So you have the triangle up, triangle down. You have the star of David, right? So let's just imagine my hands are the star of David. When man sinned, so the two worlds were united. When man sinned, the two worlds became separated. And there's a gap in between. Heaven and earth were separated. Jesus, when he died, overlays that separation, thereby uniting the two worlds, okay? So now we have access, only the believer, through the cross, into the Spirit. God has access to us fully. The Holy Spirit has access to us from heaven to earth through the cross. So the, 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 gap, the separation is still there, but it's been bridged. When Christ returns, the two worlds will reunite. So how do you know that? Okay, well, let's just use one verse. There's several, but we'll use one verse. So the prophet in the book of Revelation saw a new what coming down from heaven? What did he say? Anybody know? The new... Yeah, he saw the new Jerusalem, yeah, and the new heavens and the new earth. But he saw a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. What is he seeing coming down? Is he seeing the two worlds are coming one? He's seeing heaven coming to earth and uniting. That's what he's seeing. Because the worlds are, that, that's the way it was in the original intent. Am I, am I way over your guys' head with this? Am I like, okay, I don't want to lose you. All right, I'm trying to not lose you with the. <laughs> Sherry's like, just 
teach them what you think they need to know. And I'm like, what? I'm like, they need to know it all. <laughs> it's like, throw it all out there. Throw it all out there. Then if you look at the cube, all right? So you might know what the Tazerac is. Yeah, the Avengers movie, right? Tazerac. Thor, right? It's actually the cube represents time and space. That's what the cube actually represents. Not in the movie. Forget the movie. Get the movie off your mind. But the cube, so a square, if you want to look how, if you want to see how the sacred geometry overlays itself repetitively, I'll give you another one. Um, I'll tell you about NASA in a second. Is like you see this, you see the cube. The cube represents time and space. Length times width times depth. So it represents the dimension of time and space. If you unfold a cube and you lay out its panels, it forms a cross. Right? So time and space unfolded forms a cross. Christ, when he was crucified between heaven and earth, overlaid himself in time and space on the cross, thereby bridging the gap between time and space and heaven. This stuff that, that yeah, this is not, this is not like, you know, there's a picture by, uh, I was going to put it up there. I wasn't planning on getting into this, this, this today, but I did, so, you know. Anyway, um, there's a picture. 1954, Salvador Dali did a painting of Jesus on a cross, suspended in the earth in 3D. You ever seen, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture. That, that's like, like, probably without even knowing it, he's painting a true picture of the one suspended, over the, the one suspended on the Tazerac between heaven and earth. Jesus was crucified on the unfolded Tazerac between heaven and earth, thereby having the right, the dimensional and spiritual right, the trans-dimensional right to bridge those two worlds. He's the one who holds the key of David. Why does he? I'm the one who unites the two worlds. I have the key of David. You want the key of David? I have it. You want the key to all life? I have it. I'm the one who holds the key of David. I unite those worlds. We have, we have access. The greatest neglect a Christian ever does is to neglect the spiritual world. Good Lord. When you realize what is available to you, you have a bridge. You can enter into the spirit. You don't know what you're doing, but you need to practice the presence. You don't know what you're doing, but you need to practice the mind of Christ. You need to practice the Holy Spirit. You need to start practicing the Holy Spirit. Practice what it means to be in His world. Some of you guys know Tom. I don't know if you know Tom. Tom's one of our elders. Did inner healing on Tom. He'll let me tell his story. So I did some inner healing on Tom. And after I did inner healing, Tom broke out in this insane rash that put him in the hospital for 23 days. And I was telling him, I said, the inner healing released the toxins, dude. The suppressed toxins. You have suppressed toxins. And when the inner healing happened, the suppressed toxins came out. And where are they going to go? Through the skin. He had a rash from head to toe. Doctors did all kinds of tests. They, can't, they still don't know what it was. They don't know. They have no idea what kind of rash he had. Not a clue. They're like, well, it's not psoriasis. They, they, he said they did biopsies. They had people, all kinds of specialists coming in. I said, what's the conclusion? We don't know. That's the conclusion. Well, what I told him when we did the inner healing, I said, your spiritual life, you're going to get an upgrade. Because all of the suppression that's been on you and all the things that have been dulling your spiritual senses is now going to be lifted. Not all of it, because it's not one thing. One, there's, no sil- there's no silver bullet, Tim. There's no magic bullet. So anyway, Tim will tell you when you work with him. There's no magic bullet. He's got to do the work. He's got to commit to the process. There's no magic bullet. So I was like, that's good. I'm going to use that. So I tell people, there's no magic bullet. Inner healing's a process. I'm going to go through this in stages. It's a process. So I did inner healing with Tom and all lifts. I told him, I said, your spiritual life's going to get an upgrade. He was just sitting here telling me that he's like having trans-dimensional visions while he's in the hospital. Like crazy visions. And he has never had visions before. Ever. Ne- never. Tom's in his head, you know, all the time. You know, he's spirit-filled, but he leans more towards the intellect than he does towards the spirit. You've got to kind of pull him over to the spirit. But he'll go to the intellect before he goes to the spirit. And so he doesn't, he's just back here telling me. He told me three, like, crazy, crazy, like, technicolor visions. I'm like, write that down. We'll work through them. And um, some of it was the Holy Spirit showing him stuff. I said, this is the Spirit of God revealing to you what's around you, what's connected to you. Some of it's the Holy Spirit affirming you. Some of it's edifying. Some of it's instructional. Some of it's God in pointing something out to you that needs to be dealt with. And I said, just write it down. He goes, oh, I'll never forget it. He said, it was so vivid. He said, the vision was so vivid. I said, you've never had visions before, have you, Tom? He said, not once. Not once. That's right. We have access to a divine world of vision and revelation. I'm telling you, you have access. You do, you do like something with genetics or something like that, Paul, don't you? You do DNA some, something, right? You do something. What's your personal thing? Per, you have like some little personal thing. Yeah. 
I if you began to just go into the Spirit, develop that, meditate on these things, let God begin to show you and open up areas of wisdom to you. God will give you wisdom into things that you know not of. We, don't, we know not of. He will reveal things to you that are, no one else can see. We're the, we're the sons and daughters of the living God. We have access to a world no one else has. We have access to a limitless world. And we dumb it down and we sell ourselves out because we're too afraid. Too afraid. Oh my gosh, we're too afraid. Don't encounter the devil. You're probably going to encounter a devil. But you don't encounter a devil because the devil wants to encounter you. You're going to encounter a devil because the Holy Spirit's going to show you. Listen, you encounter a demon, Christian. You see something or encounter something spiritually. Say it with me. The devil, the devil. isn't showing me that. Right. We all think, oh, the devil's showing himself to me. Oh, oh, oh. I had a vision. I had a vision. Oh, this is what I saw. It's the devil. The devil isn't showing you anything. The devil shows you nothing. The Holy Spirit is showing you. That's what he's doing. He's showing you, Kevin, this is here. Do you want to deal with it or do you not? Do you want me to coach you or don't you? Or do you just want to send it away? You can send it away, but if, it's, if it has a right to you, it's coming back. That's it. And Christians, we, we don't know how to navigate that world at all. We have access to it and we, have, we don't know how to navigate it. In our leaders, this is the sad reality of it all. The sad reality isn't that people don't know how to navigate it. The greatest tragedy of all is that the flipping leaders don't know how to navigate it. That is a huge problem. When the leaders of the church cannot navigate the spirit world, that's nuts, dude. Are we teachers of Israel and yet we do not know these things? We don't know these things. You're not going to know everything, but you're going to know most of it. And what we do is we sell out a spiritual inheritance, a dominion authority that's been given to the church in all realms. We have authority in all realms. What would happen if we began to navigate that realm, understand what is fully ours, and began to do what Jesus said on earth as it is in heaven? And we weren't guessing. We were to go to his world, receive what he is telling us, understand what is ours, what, he, what, what he's showing us, and begin to apply these things to the earth. What would happen? That's why we can't ever do on earth as it is in heaven, because we have no clue what heaven is. We have no clue what heaven wants. We have no clue what heaven's mind is. Listen, the Bible, the Bible is instructional. The Bible is the guide. The Bible is the framework. All things flow through the word of God, but it's a primer. It's expected to be a primer. It's expected to be a launching point to greater things. We only know that there's a throne room because John had a vision of a throne room. If John were to come down here today in our generation and go, I had a vision of the throne room. And there were living creatures and six-winged angels called seraphim. And they were flying around and there was these crazy creatures that I don't know what they were. There were 24 of them and they had crowns and they were chucking crowns. And then there was these other beings. I don't know what they were. And he was to describe something out of the twilight zone. We'd say you're a heretic. John's gospel and John's revelation to this day in the modern church would be considered heretical. Heretical. Have you read it? I saw a crystal sea. You saw a crystal sea. Oh, come on, John. Streets of gold. Who are you kidding? This isn't a prosperity gospel. Gates of pearls. But we all accept it because John wrote it. But if that, that, because you know why? It was a culture that was acclimated to dreams and visions. They expected it. The Christian church expected that. We lost all that in the Reformation. We did. Martin Luther and John Calvin. John Calvin said, spiritual uh, manifestations make me uneasy. They disturb my mind, which should be quietly at rest. Do you know why they disturb your mind, John Calvin? It's because it's a wonder. It's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be disturbing. We're supposed to encounter a reality that changes us. Like, whoa. We're supposed to encounter this stuff. We're supposed to see visions of our life. We're supposed to see what the demonic world is doing around you. Oh my gosh, the devil's all around me. Who cares, dude? I, you want to hear people like, 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 I freak my wife out with the stuff that I tell. I don't tell people the stuff that I deal with. I don't tell people it. Because most of them can't handle it. Like, what? 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 You saw that? Oh, 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 oh. What's wrong with you? You know what's wrong with me? What's right with me? The Holy Spirit. What, the, the, the same crap's around you. You just can't see it. You're too, you're too dull to recognize it. And you're too fearful to want to deal with it. And so your eyes are shrouded. And your eyes are blinded. You know what I say? Open my eyes. I don't care what's there. Show it to me. 
That devil had no right on me. No right. No right. I've done this so much that the Holy Spirit's got to go find something. Kevin, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm like, go find something. And I went, nothing. <laughs> Serious. But we should be able to navigate that world, people. We are, we, are, we are sons and we worship God. How do we worship God? Come on. In what? Right. Can we say that again? Right. And what did Jesus say? Such is those that the Father seeks. What is he seeking? No, seriously. Spiritual worshipers who worship not out of hysteria, not out of mania, but worship the Lord out of truth with wise understanding of what truly is, of what is. Understanding the reality of this world, not treating it as trifles, not treating it as trinkets, not treating it as novelties, but understanding this world is real and we have dominion. We have dominion. Period. The earth was created in six literal days. So I'm going to freak some of you out. This is going to bother some of you, but that's okay. No, Kevin, the earth was created over millions of years. Who told you that? My, my, my professor. Well, okay. The Bible says it's created in six literal days. How do we know? Say this. Because, because. Jesus time-stamped it. Yeah. We have two aspects of creation. We have the creation of the earth and we have the creation of the universe. So dealing specifically with the earth, we know that it was six days. Why? Because he said so. I don't care what science says. Science is off if it doesn't match the biblical narrative. Well, what's a day and a night, Kevin? We don't know. We don't really know what a day is. Okay, Jesus doesn't know what a day is. Okay, it's like he doesn't. He's already anticipated that man's going to argue this, and so he says he called the dark the light day and the darkness night. And everybody say this: the evening and the morning were the first day. He defines for us in very clear terms what a day is. And he repeats it. We, to this day, know what a day is. Why? It's the evening and the morning. It's the, it's that, that's, that's what a day is. And he repeats that over and over again. He creates a fully formed earth. No room for theistic evolution. So the, the, the church wants to go, well, there's theistic evolution. God did create it and he evolved through the creation. No, he did not. That is not what the Bible says. He created a fully formed man and woman. And he created a fully formed earth. Period. Fully formed. Rapid succession. Air bubbles in granite. Did you know that? There's halos and air bubbles in granite that is net that are impossible. Impossible. Why are there air bubbles? Granite is metamorphic rock formed out over a long period of time. High density rock. Granite is very, there's no air pockets in granite. According to the way granite is made. By geological standards, granite is formed in this way. Therefore, there is no air within the granite because of its density and its formation. Yet, they find air pockets in granite. And there's a scientist who has a $500,000 thing, a standing thing. I just looked it up to make sure it was right. It was still going on. It is. To, to the, uh, whatever, the Academy of Sciences, whatever, to, to answer why there are air pockets in granite. The reason there are empire pockets in granite is because it was formed rapidly. That's why. Wasn't formed over millions of years. That granite formations that they're studying, there is granite formations that's formed slowly, but this granite formations that they that they, they find granite formations all over the earth that are formed rapidly. Why? And when it was formed rapidly, it captured the air within the granite, creating these air pockets. A guy says it's a, it's the equivalent of Alka-Seltzer in water. There's a specific type of halo. It starts with a P, and he says this means that it's like Alka-Seltzer in the in the granite. It's, it's, it's impossible to form that over millions of years. This was formed rapidly, immediately, immediately. Mount St. Helens, you ever heard this one? It takes millions of years to make a fossil. Millions of years. Oh, Kevin, that dinosaur skull was formed over millions of years. Those fossils were created over millions of years. You know, my first question when it comes to millions of years, my first question is, were you there? We have no record of his, we have no record of human history beyond about 5,700 years. Human history dates back only that far. We have written history, we have architectural history, we don't have a bunch of cave, you know, what about the paintings on the wall? We have no idea. But what we do know is human civilization began, and they say, well, what about the prehistoric era? There is no prehistoric era in the biblical narrative. There are no cavemen, there are no monkeys, there is no transitional form. There is nothing. There was man created and man began to be civilized. The Bible actually talks about man immediately forming cities. Out the gate. Off the rip. Right? Nimrod. 
began to form cities, built, the, the, built all of the cities, began to immediately form cities, began to form culture. Man immediately became a culture maker. Immediately. Fossilized trees in Mount St. Helen. Marcus is from uh, um, Washington State. And I was telling him, like, we were sharing in first service that the, the Mount St. Helen re- erupted in the 80s. So it's less than 40 years ago. So they have a tree sticking out of the ash. When they went there to do the recovery, they began to cut back the ash off of the tree, and they realized that the back half of the tree was fossilized from the silica and the progression and the compression from the volcanic ash that happened just 40 years ago. So you have half the tree sticking out that's, that's still alive, and the back half of the tree is fossilized. Didn't take millions of years. Didn't take 40 years. I think it took less than, like, it was like a few months they went in there. And Marcus came up to me at the break, and he said, Kevin, they found fossilized teddy bears. I said, teddy bears. He said, teddy bears turned to stone. Fossilized teddy bears. And he gave me the, number, the name of this creationist guy. That He said, this guy was a big-time evolutionist. And he said, when he went to Mount St. Helen and he started looking at all the stuff that was there and how they were just completely denying that it exists, he said, that's what turned him. He said, I said, I said the teddy bear? He said, the teddy bear just did him in. He's like, this is impossible. Everything science has told him is wrong. It's wrong. But will they admit that? No way. No way. They're not going to say, hey, we're wrong on the fossil record. They're not going to do, you know, CNN isn't going to do an exclusive report on why there's fossilized trees found and how, fossil, how the whole fossil record needs to come into question. We need to now question the entire age of the fossil record based on Mount St. Helen alone. All the entire fossil record needs to come into question. But will they do that? No way. No way, because it doesn't fit their narrative. Their narrative is godlessness. Their, their narrative is atheism. Watch this. You'll see this in the next few years. This is going to come probably in the next two or three years. They found um, Noah's Ark years ago. It's been back in the 70s. A guy found Noah's Ark on the thing. Photographs, measurements, everything is precisely as the Bible said. They measure it. They do all this stuff. There's a center mass. There's a whole thing. And it measures out dimensionally exactly as the Bible said. There's a whole bunch of stuff behind it. And so what they do when they go up there because it's fossilized... And so the, the, the skeptics go, oh, well, that's not, that's not a boat. <laughs> that's a rock formation. And so the guys up there, they're, they're doing 3D images. They just started doing 3D images. This is this year. They just started doing 3D images of that formation. And you know what they've discovered? It's a boat! Modern technology gives them the ability to do 3D images and do go subterranean. And so they're able to go subterranean on that. And you know what they're finding out? It's a boat! And so now the argument is, well, uh, but it can't be Noah's Ark because that boat can't be made of wood. That boat's made out of stone. There's no, there's no grain in the wood. So there's no grain in the wood. So therefore, this can't be made out of, out of, out of, uh, out of wood. This can't be Noah's Ark. There's no, there's no grain signatures in it. Well, the Bible says it was made out of gopher wood. So it was made out of a wood, a species of plant that was pre-flood. There was no such thing as gopher wood in our world. No such thing. And so Noah built an ark out of, a, out of a wood that was pre-flood. We do have wood, though, that doesn't have grain. Palm trees is wood, very buoyant, and it doesn't have grain. So it's probable and it's, it's doctrinal, biblical, that he made this boat out of something. So it's, it's, it's there. It's there. The problem which you've got to realize is that the, the people, the only, op, the only thing is, is like, if we didn't evolve, then where did we come from? And that's the question they don't want to ask. If Noah's ark really is on Mount Ararat, just like the Bible says, if it's really there, then we have to answer a question about everything that we believe. Because what they want you to believe is they want you to believe that the, you guys should watch a video, you want to watch something really cool, watch Mountain of Fire on uh, YouTube. You ever seen, anybody ever seen Mountain of Fire? No. They found Mount Sinai. Not where they think Mount Sinai is. Mount Sinai is in Arabia, just like the Bible says. The entire top of the mountain is burnt black. They break it in half. It's granite. It's charred black, the whole thing. The whole setup is just like the Bible says. And it's in Saudi Arabia. And the Saudi Arabians have it all cordoned off. You should watch it. It's called Mountain of Fire. A guy named Robert Cornuke. Totally. Every Christian, every single Christian needs to watch that movie. Every single believer needs to watch that movie. I mean, your faith is real. This, this stuff is not fairy tales. This stuff is reality. This isn't make-believe. My little pony, you know, somewhere over the rainbow. We not only should be able to answer this, we should be answering this. But the church defaults to dumb. We default and we play dumb. You know, you ask pastors, well, we just got to accept that by faith, brother. (laughs) No, 
No. If this is real, then the evidence signs in the heavens and wonders on the earth. That's what God said. You're going to see it, and it's going to be there. It's going to be just like I said. They have the rock that split. It's nuts. The rock that was split is in that, is in that same area. And you can see that all of this granite is water flaked. Water flaked stone from rushing water that doesn't exist in the middle of a desert. Tell me that's possible. There's pins. There's all kinds of stuff. They have the, the altar of the golden calf, like plain as day. Plain as day. The stone table that was the golden calf, it's all chiseled on it and everything's nuts. Nuts. It's not a fairy tale. You don't live in, this isn't fairyland. You know? That's the thing. It's like we don't make believe. It's like little children's stories, Noah's and his ark. You know? I mean, did this happen? God came down in fire and rested upon a mountain and he charred the top of a granite mountain black. The entire top of the mountain is black. Granite charred by fire. You know how hard it is to char granite? Very hard. And when they, when they crack the rock open, it's probably inch and a half into the granite is burned. Fur, furnace burned. Like, like there, The boundary stones are there too. The boundary stones. God told Moses to put up boundary stones. The boundary stones are there. It's all there. It's been preserved. The Arabians have known it was there all the time. They go, well, why are we in Mount Sinai? And it, because it's not there. The Bible says this in Galatians. The mountain of God is in Arabia. It tells us where it is. We've just been like a bunch of idiots and never knew it was there. And two, 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 uh, two Christian guys that were like archaeologists, they stumbled on it. And then another family found it and they did this whole video on it. It's crazy. It's nuts. Fossilized record, cycle of seven. Okay, so I'm going to do this and I'm going to close. I got to do communion. Are you guys enjoying this? Okay. All right. I'm trying to be calm and happy, Kevin. I was intense. Sherry's like, you were really intense on the science stuff in the first service, Kevin. I'm trying to be calm. <laughs> so let's take this. So we know that, because this, this, this again, we have an answer for this. So you have the earth that we know was time stamped in six days. But then when, they, when scientists will measure, when they measure the universe, and they do the calculations to measure the universe, they project the universe to be millions of years old. Therefore, they reason that if the universe is millions of years old, the earth may be millions of years old. The difference is, is that the creation of the universe is spoken of differently than the creation of the earth. The Bible says that when God created the universe, he stretched it forth like a curtain. And so if you understand time, space, anybody ever seen the movie uh, Interstellar? You haven't seen the movie Interstellar? Okay, they go down on this thing, they're gone for 45 minutes, they come back to the ship, and it's been 25 years, right? Time, space, continuum, the curvature of time. And so God stretches forth the heavens. And he stretches it forth. And so from the earth, and they measure the universe, they measure this distance, and they say the earth must be millions of years old because the universe can be calculated at millions of years old. We have the math. So how can you say the earth is six days old? And I'm going to say because God time-stamped the earth, and he says he stretched the heavens. Time can be stretched. God stretched the time. Right? You ever know the speed of light? You guys ever heard, you know, speed of light, the, you know, that, the whole theory of relativity? Moving at the speed of light, you know, you're gone an hour and you're actually come back and you've been gone 10 years. It's that whole, that's that, that type of concept. God stretched forth the heavens. So the earth, so in other words, so science will say, you Christians are stupid. We can calculate the universe in its millions of years. Don't tell me God did the universe in six days. I'm like, I didn't say he did the universe in six days. I said he stretched forth the universe. Then when you put time-space continuum into their theory, then it all makes sense. The Bible narrative is always correct. It's always correct. So there's, God does not like have an answer for that. He's like, oh my gosh, you got me stumped on that one. I don't know what I'm going to do. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. It, it's always there. He actually uses stretched forth the heavens four different times in scriptures. Four different times he tells us he unfolds it. He, he, he built it out like a tent. He unfolded it like a tent. See like a tent that's like this big? You guys know what I'm talking about? You go camping, you unfold the tent, and it becomes this big. That's how God did the universe. It was like this, he unfolded it, and it became instantly bigger than it was originally. And again, the biblical narrative is correct. It's always correct. Time, next slide. Last slide. I said all this to say that you were created by God lovingly. You were created by God sacredly. You are sacred. Day two... You're sacred. Day three, day three, your destiny of heaven and earth is stamped upon you. All human beings are stamped with the destiny of heaven to earth. Doesn't mean they operate in it. Doesn't mean they, they follow it. Doesn't mean they, they manifest it. 
But all of us are born with that. We're created by the Lord to exist with the Lord, first and foremost, to be a family. So we're created to be a family. That's the number one thing. That's why He made us. He made us to be in relationship with Him and in communion with Him. Codependent upon the Lord and interdependent upon others. Life is hopeless without Jesus. Did you know that? You know what I'm talking about? Doesn't matter how much you travel. Doesn't matter how many places you go to. You always feel empty. Doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter whatever you do. In other words, when you indulge only yourself. Come on. How satisfied are you when you are doing nothing but indulging yourself? When you're indulging yourself, it feels good in the moment. Right? Let's eat that tub of ice cream. Right? You know what I'm saying? When you're, you know, but then afterwards you're like... When you're, okay, I'll back off ice cream. So, like, when you're indulging yourself and you're living only for you, and all you're doing is your thing, your thing, your thing, it's all about me, you become empty. This is why you see people with all the fame, all the fortune, everything that we would perceive a person could want, and yet they're the most empty and hopeless people in the world because we're not created for ourselves. It's not to say that things are wrong, but things are made to be subjected to Jesus. All of life was made, sprinted, to be subjected to the Lord. That's why when you serve Jesus and you do things for Him and you give unto Him and you walk with Him, there's a harmony, there's a life that comes into you. You guys know what I'm talking about? You feel alive, you know? And it seems like, wow, this is, doesn't seem like this should be doing this, but I feel really satisfied doing this because you're serving Him and His pleasure's on it. But the self-indulgence always leads to a vacuum. And always leads to a black hole. Life is hopeless without Him. We're created by His purpose and for His pleasure. You're created. Say, I'm created. created. Unique. Unique. That's right. Say, I'm created. created. Intelligent. Intelligent. Self-aware. Creative. Creative. Logical. Logical. (laughs) Say this. Even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes. (laughs) You're just created with spirituality and love and the ability to choose. His highest design is potential. Your highest design and your potential is only found in communion with Him. I don't care how good an idea you have. If you partner with Jesus, Jesus has a destiny far greater than yours. If you partner your destiny into Him and say, Lord, this is what you've called me to do, but I need you, I want to walk with you through this. I want you to show me and give me the wisdom and give me the guidance in it. You manifest something that you could never have any other way. You have revelation, you have insight, you have ability, you have resources, you have all kinds of things available to you that you cannot have without Him because you're imprinted by heaven. You don't just get salvation. The destiny of heaven, when you come to Christ, that third day destiny is activated. The destiny becomes activated. But then we'd say this. There's a difference between activation and actualization. So the destiny can be activated, but what we want to do, what we want to do is actualize it. I raised it around a lot of different things, and I talk to Sherry about this all the time. She's like, why do you always push on that? I go, because I don't want a concept. I want reality. I'm not looking for a concept. This is the concept. Here's the concept of laying on of hands. I don't want a concept. I want to manifest it. You know? I don't want a concept of power. I want to manifest it. I don't want a concept of strength. I want to manifest it. Concepts are great. I love concepts. Concepts are wonderful. But let's bring that activation into actualization. Let's bring it into the now. Let's understand it. And this stuff, this type of stuff is where, this is how, when your thinking begins to change, and you begin to understand that sin separated the two worlds, the cross was laid down, Jesus suspended in time and space, on the Tazerac, taking the place, me, within the realm of time and space, suspended between two worlds, laid down, bridging the gap. I now have full access to that world. I now have full rights to that world. And the Holy Spirit now has full rights to me. If you begin to, cons- can just to, to briefly conceptualize what this actually is, is your life will change. This isn't like a, a poster on the wall. This is like, can you see this? Do you know that that's you? You have that. He gave that to you. This is given to you. Do you know that you are time stamped with eternity? Did you know that? You're stamped with destiny. Destiny's on you. You're created. Well, I don't know. People are created more special. No, you're created special on day two. Day two, Jesus said special. Day two said destiny and day three, he said destiny and me. Out the gate, right off the rip. And you have access to these things. You're the highest design. Jesus does not force the relationship. He invites you into it. It's important to know. He never forces the relationship with you. He invites you into it. He'll only take you as far as you want to go. Oh, God, take me further. Do you mean it? You're not going to like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a practitioner. I'm not a theorist. People, oh, all for you, Jesus. All for you. Lord, I want to go closer. I've heard it my whole life. Christians, I want to go closer with Jesus. I want to go closer with Jesus. Nobody moves. Everybody stays the same. I'm like, 
was it possible to close your Jesus? And the Lord was like, yeah, it's possible. Come on. And then when I start taking the steps, I don't like what he tells me. And that's where most people retreat. I don't like what he shows me. I don't like what he points out to me. I don't like the, he says, narcissism, Kevin. We got to deal with narcissism. You got an attitude issue over here. You got yourself engrossed, yourself this. You have pride. You have this. You have that. It, it's just, and we don't like it. And we think that Jesus is just Mr. Nice Guy to us all the time. And, and he, you back up, he'll leave you the same. It's fine. He doesn't force you beyond where you want to go. Most Christians' problem is they get is their comfort. They, they despise anything that cuts their character. They will immediately always retreat to comfort. Look, I like comfort. I like a nice comfy couch, nice furry blanket, you know, nice Netflix show, positive, uplifting show. You know, something, you know, I'm, I mean, I like, I like, I like comfort. You understand? But what I don't like, what I, what I refuse to accept is spiritual comfort. What I refuse to accept is emotional comfort when it pertains to the relationship with Jesus. I will not be comfortable. When he shows me something and it's hard for me, I don't want to retreat into comfort. I'm going to lean into that. And I don't care if it feels like a knife is going through me. I want it. I want that gone. Because that's a barrier. Most Christians go, oh, well, you know, it hurts. And so, you know, God wouldn't do that to me. He wouldn't do that to me. No, that's not what he's doing. You don't know him at all. You do not know what he's doing. He is reforming the relationship. Reform. He's going to reform you. He's going to take you completely apart. It is possible for you to have a transformational change and transformational experience, a complete catapult forward in 2020. It's possible. But not all of you will. You won't. Because it will become too uncomfortable for you. God's going to point out your narcissism and you're not going to like it. He's going to point out your selfishness and you're not going to like it. He's going to point out your ego and you're not going to like it. He's going to point out your pride you're not going to like it. He's going to point out the wounds that drive you and control you and hold you prisoner, and you're not going to like it. You're going to put your hand over your wound and go, no, don't touch that. You'll go, okay, and you'll stay the same. Not me. (laughs) Into the breach. I'm telling you it works because I practice it. I take the red pill, Christian. I'm not reading out of a manual. I live this. I live this gospel. What I tell you, I do. I go, oh, this is what you should do, and this is what you should do, and pontificate. I know a lot of my friends are like that. They're pontificators. I'm like, have you actually ever done that? Because you're like instructing people in this way. But I don't really see that playing out in your life at all. At all. But, oh, I'm the pastor. It's not my job to do that. It's my job to instruct everyone. I just instruct people. No, we emulate. We emulate. We show you. We jump down. We take, go down the rabbit hole. We take the red pill. We say, hey, this works. Or don't try that. That didn't work. You know. <laughs> We've been there. <laughs> anyway, say it with me. Jesus loves me. I'm sacred. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We're going to take communion together. This is, again, is the union of our hearts, the union of our lives with him. So do we have any music? Does she, she got me? Just play like something light and easy. And just make your way up and around and grab the cracker and grab the juice and bring it back to the chair with you. And we'll take it together.